Hi, and welcome to Authorised. My name is Kevin Hillier. This is the podcast where writers get to speak. And we'll hear today from Muriel Cooper and from Dominic Knight, two great writers, two terrific books that you should have a read of over the Christmas New Year holiday period. If you've got some time, I highly recommend these two books, and we'll get to Muriel in just a tick. A reminder about our terrific sponsors, and we will be uh, catching up with one of the team, David Pike, a little later on in the podcast. Uh, But CSCG... Uh, they're the people, uh, if you've got some financial issues, uh, some financial questions, uh, you want to talk to the best in the business, they're it. And they're experienced. They know what they're talking about. They're across all the changes in different areas. So give them a call on 03, that's Melbourne, double nine seven four eight triple three. or go to the website and find out more, cscg.com.au. We'll talk to David Pike, one of the team, a little later on. But first up, Muriel Cooper, a well-known broadcaster uh, for a number of years, these days living down on the Mornington Peninsula, and amongst other things, has turned her hand more diligently than she has in the past because she's written uh, for a number of years, but uh, to do a book. Uh, So uh, let's have a chat to her about uh, her very first book of fiction. Lucid, your first novel, where did it start? Where did the germ of the idea start for you? It started when I was waiting to go to university to study psychology and it was in the early 90s. I was, of course, fascinated by psychology. That's why I wanted to study it. But I was also interested in so-called altered states of consciousness. And I came across an article on lucid dreaming and I knew about it, uh, but I suppose I became infatuated with the idea because in the article I it said that people could create places in their lucid dreams. And lucid dreaming wasn't very well known at that time. And I became infatuated with the idea that you could create a place in your dreams to go to. So I had about six months before I went into uni. You know, the university year starts fairly late in the year, about February, um, March. So I started to write this uh, novel called Lucid. and. Uh, and it, it over the years, I could kept going back to it, and I didn't really finish it until I moved down to Mornington four years ago. So, explain exactly what lucid dreaming is. It is is it as simple as what you described then? As you just go to a place, you invent a place in your mind, and you go to that place. No, you can invent places, but it can be spontaneous, and it can be quite frightening to people because it is that, like a hallucination. It is like a reality. Yeah. It's not, it has, it it doesn't have that dreamlike quality to it. It's as if it was real. So, you know, when you dream, when you dream, usually uh, the dreams are a little bit jumbled. There's lots of people in them you don't know. Things happen that you can recognize as being fragments from memory processing from what's happened during the day. But in a lucid dream, it is, it is like an altered, It's like a hallucination. So that happens to the hero in the book, Rick Peterson. He spontaneously starts lucid dreaming right at the beginning of the book and he's uh, quite frightened by it. He doesn't know what's going on. Was was lucid dreaming something that that you had personal experience with? Well, I have since and I've all my life had extremely vivid dreams and I've actually, so I think you're the first person I've told this to, I'm not sure, but I've but I've actually had uh, some prescient dreams. That is, that I've had dreams that have actually come true. Oh. And, yeah. So I don't think there's anything paranormal about it. And that's one of the things that's explored in the book. You know, what is the nature of it? What is the nature of reality? 
is the reality that we have now that we are in, where I'm talking to you, is that the ultimate reality or is it just another kind of reality? So it's very, I go into it in some depth in the book, but the hero asks his partner and investigator, Lisa Armstrong, to help him because she's, she has a master's in psychology and also in philosophy, and she's quite interested in metaphysics. The paranormal, I tend to think of as not paranormal at all. It's just part of a different sort of reality or a different, uh, a different kind of state that we just haven't worked out by science what it is yet. Your main so, character in the book is is a is a criminal lawyer who's who's looking into a case that involves a lot of heavy people, and then uh, in hmm. the in the lucid dream area he goes to this this place that he's invented called um, called Wellstone that uh, is is hmm. a place where he has control over all sorts of different things as well. Well, he has if he wants he has total control because he invented the place, and when he's in his lucid world, he can control whatever happens. But he doesn't want to. He invents it, first of all, because he wants it to be perfect, you know, a place to go to to have fun. Yep. So he doesn't particularly, he wants to go with the flow. He doesn't particularly want to control it. And later on, when the incident happens, he, he, he doesn't want to control it because he doesn't, he wants to find out organically who the killer is because it's a murder mystery. Yeah. So this is the thing that goes wrong in this so-called perfect world. You know, murders are not supposed to happen there. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing bad is supposed to happen there, you know. Yeah. And, and he, he doesn't want to interfere too much because then he won't find out who the killer is and, he, and then he might not find out what's going wrong in his unconscious. So he, although he can have ultimate control, he's like God, really. You know, he can, do, he can make people do whatever he likes. But he chooses not to because he wants to find out something about himself. And that's the ultimate quest, I always think. So when you're writing this, Muriel, did, did, did all the little rabbit warrens that you've gone down in this, how had you kind of position all that in your own head? <laughs> well, yeah, you have to keep track of it all. and So I have an outline and it's a very detailed outline and I – keep changing bits before and I go back to that bit in the outline as well and I so I, I, I try to keep track of it all. It's a bit like herding cats. Yeah. And I think I think most mystery writers would say that's a very challenging part of the process because there's nothing worse than getting to the end, doing like two edits and a and a final a final draft and thinking, yes, it's all done and then having one last read and thinking, Oh damn, I left that you know, that loose end. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And sometimes that means you have to go right back to early in the book and, re- and rewrite bits of it all the way through so that you don't have that loose end. So it's, it's pretty important to keep a track of where you are as you're writing because I'm halfway through the second lucid novel now, which is called Recovery. In terms of building your characters, I mean, do you base them on on real people? Do are, are they your kind of lucid dream of uh, what a criminal lawyer should be and and what a psychologist should be? Or how do you how do you formulate your characters? I chose to write about a man because I'm a woman, and so I, I kind of always think it's easy for me to write about women because I am one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wanted to write about a man and. Um, and I chose him as a lawyer, and this was a long time ago 
when my daughter was still in primary school. And as it turns out, she is now a lawyer. So um, I wanted him to have a link, I suppose, to crime because it's a, it is a, it is a crime novel as well in a way. So it, it, it's kind of a bit of a genre buster. And it's also got some kind of fantasy elements to it as well. So yeah. it's a mixture of genres, if you like. Yeah. But I wanted it to have a, a crime element. So I made him a lawyer because then he's got a case that he's got to deal with in his real life or what I call now uh, our agreed reality, which is the reality that you and I and all our friends and family live in. Yeah. So he, ha- he has this case of, of this man who's a kind of cheerful thief, and, but he gets accused, he gets charged with murder and uh, in his agreed reality, his real life, Rick has to try and get him off because he's a defence lawyer. So he's got to try and get him off. And there are some other characters in the book as well that help with that. But um, the main uh, antagonist is a Sydney gangland uh, figure called Sid Parker um, who comes down to Melbourne. And, of course, Melbourne doesn't like Sydney uh, crims <laughs> coming into their territory. Yeah. So there's a little bit of that sort of Sydney-Melbourne rivalry as well, which I always like to think of as kind of good-natured. Now, Rick uh, put Wellstone in in 1959. It's always 1959 there. Is there a reason you picked that year? Well, it's the year between his two favourite decades, which is the 1950s and the 1960s. He was brought up by his grandparents watching reruns of Happy Days. Yep. And he likes the happy, happy nature of that show. That's why he made it perfect and he made it 1959 but he also likes the 60s he's a retro guy he drives an, an old jag um you know he likes laminates and and milkshakes and <laughs> and he likes yeah he likes old-fashioned things because his grandparents were a big influence on him and their, their furniture was old-fashioned and they watched old-fashioned tv shows so he's kind of nostalgic about era. So that's why he decided to make it 1959 because that was the year between. It's also, by the way, the year that one of my favourite cars came out, the Studebaker Lark. Oh, right. He gets to drive one of those in one of the chapters. How easy was it a book to write, Muriel? It's, uh, I mean, it's it's very complicated in, in, and, and detailed in, in many ways in the, the where the characters go and what they do and what happens to them and who else is involved in it. How, how easy was it for you to write? Was it a difficult task? It was really hard. But I really enjoyed it. It was a it was a big challenge because there's a lot of things going on in the book. You know, there's his life in Wellstone, there's there's his life in Melbourne, there's his life down here on the peninsula where he's got a property that's under threat from developers. Uh, so there's a lot of bits and pieces to keep a hold of. But I also liked the me- metaphysical uh, angle of it. You know, the speculative angle of it. Of of well, if somebody can create a whole world in their head, uh, in their dream world, in the end, are we maybe just part of somebody else's head? Is this their reality that we're living in at the moment? So that, to me, opens up an entire world or universe of different ideas. So in Lucid, his dreaming world, Rick can go into many different places. So if, if this book is successful, and the next one hopefully will be as well, hopefully, fingers crossed, because, you know, it's uh, and pretty hard for authors to get attention and get successful. Yep. But if they are, then 
I could just keep writing uh, books about places that Rick goes to in his lucid world, and it could, um, you know, I could keep writing them for as long as I'm alive, I suppose. Yeah, and, and writing's obviously something that you that you really enjoy and that you've embraced over many years. I love it. I mean, I started out as a cadet journalist, and I've always written. I wrote for newspapers and I wrote for radio, and and then I started writing fiction. And now that I've got a little bit more time, I'm down on the peninsula, I'm not working as many days as a psychologist, so I've got more time to write. So I've, I'm a member of the local uh, Peninsula Writers Club. Right. But great bunch of people. And we have little writing challenges amongst ourselves. We support each other. Uh, you know, a lot of them are published authors and they mentor people and we read each other's work. And it's it's really important as a writer to have some beta readers, you know, some readers who can read your stuff and give you honest feedback about it, about, you know, what how they think you could improve it or what you could do. Or um, I'm not so big on the publishing side, so I'm not very good if you ask me <laughs> advice on who to pitch it to or, you know, uh, how to get a, a, a publisher or how, how to get an agent. I'm I'm really not terribly good about that. Uh, It's an area that's an area that, quite frankly, um, I find a bit frightening and and a a bit intimidating. But 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 as far as the actual writing is concerned, it's such a pleasure to be able to send a bit of my writing to someone and say, "What do you think of this?" And then you know, and then they send me back something that says, "Well, I think that you could do this. I think you could do that." Or it's really interesting and important talking over storylines with people. How difficult because, is it to divorce yourself from the book and kind of get back into your own real world every now and again? Well, actually, that's a good question because it is quite hard. I get so wrapped up in it and the time passes really, really quickly. When I'm writing, you know, an hour goes by in the blink of an eye. Yeah. And and then so I, I actually need to be quite careful to put a good space between my writing and, say, consulting. And I'm also doing that in the same space now because I'm – doing mostly telehealth, so uh, I'm sitting at my computer to write and I'm also sitting at my computer to to do my consulting. So it's important to put in a good space between that because if I go straight from writing to consulting, it's a different headspace and it's quite it, it, yeah, yeah. You can, you can, I can feel a little bit um, dissociated. <laughs> so, yeah. so I've got to, I've got to keep a good state. COVID has has affected a whole lot of things. It's affected everybody. But have you noticed any difference in in yourself when you're writing because of what's going on in the world around you? Has has sort of changed the way you look at things and and uh, and sort of write about things? Not really. Yeah. I suppose because uh, a lot of what I write about doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> in. in uh, you know, in terms of the of actually of actual lucid, but in the real world, in our agreed reality, uh, yes, I've got to put things in about well, now we don't shake hands as much anymore. I'm assuming that the pandemic is going to end because we hope yes. <laughs> I mean, we all have to believe it's going to end, um, but there will be hangovers from it. But we're not quite sure what they are yet. Yeah. So um, even in in the, I'm pretty sure in lucid the first book. I actually put a couple of references in right at the end because the last draft went to the publisher uh, when the pandemic was already here, so before it was printed. And so I, I'm pretty sure I put one or two small references to it in there. But in the in the one that I'm writing at the moment, yeah, there are there are references to it, but they're a bit tentative at the moment. 
because I'm really not sure how it's, what, how it's going to affect everyone in, in, in our reality. You know, what, what's going to happen to us, what, how it's going to change the face of the economic landscape, how it's going to affect relationships. I think all of that is a bit sort of in the future at the moment. You can only guess. So it'll be a long time before this second one gets published. So I think I'll have a bit better idea then as to what the, the lasting effects of COVID are going to be. You've written a children's book. You've written, uh, obviously, a self-help book as well. Obviously, you're very, very, uh, very productive and uh, and voracious kind of uh, a writer. Um, I mean, you're working on the next uh, Lucid now. Any other ideas sprouting around at the moment? Um, well, I, I do have one, but I'm I'm a bit reluctant to actually articulate it because what I've found is and is that as soon as you get an idea and you put it out there, it seems to travel through the ether. And and suddenly there's somebody else, you know, writing a, a book about it as well. Yeah, funny but, about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it happened to me a while ago because it's about four or five years ago I wrote a book called Shit Happens. Yeah. And yeah, and at the time there was no book called Shit Happens. And about a year ago I had a chance to pitch it to a publisher and I thought I'd do a bit of research well, now there's no end of books called Shit Happens. <laughs> uh, yes, funny about so, that. Yeah, funny about that. <laughs> so, so I'm a, except I, I will say that it's to do with evolution, to do with uh, of, of, of how our ancient cave person ancestors affect the way we live today. All right, sounds fascinating. Fascinating. Mm. Well, it's, it's it's actually based on the way that I work with my clients because I'm I'm very interested in evolutionary psychology, and I can see the ways that we are affected by our ancient brain um, affecting us now, and ter- particularly in terms of stress, anxiety, depression, anger, um, aggressive aggression, hostility, yeah. all of those things that we question about human beings as not being you know, admirable human qualities. Now, our ancient ancestors had many admirable human qualities, but they didn't have the same kind of stress that we we live under today. Yeah. Their stresses were all big and immediate, like the tiger is going to jump on you, <laughs> the bear is in the mouth of the cave, yeah. you know. And, it's, and that, that, that that's the way our brain is today. It's still the same. Yeah. And so it reacts. It reacts to ordinary everyday events and often overreacts. So it overreacts. It thinks that a normal everyday event is like a tiger going to jump on you and it creates stress. So I think getting to know how our ancient brain works um, I think is uh, very important in how we manage our levels of stress and how we manage our current society and the way that we live in it. Yep. Our problem solving has actually become part of our biggest problem. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because Carl Jung, who I'm a great fan of, one of the founding fathers, and I'll say fathers because he was a man, (laughs) one of the founding fathers of psychology along with Freud, Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung said before civilization, man had no worries. He reacted to stresses. He reacted to threats, but, but they were immediate and he or she reacted to it immediately. They didn't have to think about it over and over again. And it's actually interesting about dreaming because it's thought that dreaming and particularly nightmares are a kind of uh, 
threat rehearsal. So we are processing in our sleep, because we process memory during sleep, create human growth hormones to replace tissues, all sorts of things happen during sleep. Um, but one of the things that happens is we process memory and it's thought that dreaming is a form of threat processing where we are trying to work out in our unconscious how to respond or react to various threats in our environment. But also nowadays we're also trying to respond to threats inside our head because yeah. we are our own worst enemy. Yeah. We, when we worry, we, we create vivid imaginary scenarios of catastrophes which then our brain reacts to. So worry control is a, and, and regulation is a very important part of mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations on uh, on Lucid Part 1 because obviously uh, it's a trilogy and you're working on the second one now. Uh, the book's available through Pegasus, you publish it also through Amazon and uh, and from uh, booksellers who can order in and get copies. But well done on, uh, on getting it out there, Muriel, and uh, congratulations and uh, many more to come in the future, hopefully. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's lovely talking to you. The book is Lucid. The author is Muriel Cooper and it's available out and about now and I think you'll have a good read of that over the Christmas holiday period. Uh, Next, I want to introduce you to the man who's written uh, the 2020 Dictionary, a guide to uh, what happened this year, some of the words we came up with this year, some of the people, a whole myriad of things are involved in this. It's a great way to finish uh, what's been a pretty ordinary year, really, hasn't it? Uh, But Dominic Knight has managed to encapsulate it all in this book, so let's have a chat to him about it. Hello, Dominic. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, considering that it's still 2020. Yes, it is. What did I say? 2021? I'm, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm jumping. No, 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 no. I'm wishing. I think no, I'm wishing. My point, being that, uh, my point being that because we're still in 2020 and I'm still alive, so I think I'm winning. Yes, I think you're right, actually. Uh, surviving this year has been probably the greatest achievement <laughs> of mankind when we look back on it. Ah, pretty much. I mean, look, the sad thing is that many, many people haven't, but we've been yeah. very fortunate. And I think a little wise in Australia, so um, let's be grateful for that. It's not often that we prepare and react to science well, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we are in such a strong position as we approach Christmas, because when I wrote this book, things were looking pretty dire. Yeah. Uh, Melbourne, Melbourne was really copying it. There were lots of cases popping up elsewhere, and um, it wasn't at all clear we'd be able to put the lid on this thing. So um, having written a, a supposedly somewhat humorous book about it, I feel very relieved that we're almost really getting it under control at this point in Australia. Yeah. Uh, the dictionary is interesting because you've done you've, – you've really spread it across a wide range of, uh, of kind of – what was your parameters for, for what got included? Well, that's the thing. That I really had to try and figure out um, what the parameter was and I, I didn't want to do a COVID book because that would just be I – mean, who would want to pick that up for Christmas? Bloody depressing. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. But then there were – and then I thought, well, there were fires that's depressing too. So how do I write – Something that's got that diversity where there's some fun in there as well. And then Kanye was running for president. And I thought, you know what, let's just do the whole year. We'll put everything in. But also people were starting to say, oh, that's so 2020 as shorthand for, oh, what a disaster. Yeah. Or nap turn pear shape. So the notion of 2020 becoming a word that meant everything turning bad, I felt that was something that was really opening up. So um, I figured, you know what, let's just, let's just call it the 2020 Dictionary. And there you have it. Yep, absolutely. Now let's go through a few that obviously uh, have caught my eye in, in reading it. They're all in this together. Oh, <laughs> we 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 are we never were. Um, fortunately, we're we're in the lucky group now in Australia. But um, 
the number of times celebrities reassured us that, oh, we're all in it together, you know, I'm going through this, you're going through this, yeah, but you've got a massive mansion and heaps of money in your own private pool and tennis court. <laughs> and, I mean, all these videos of The Rock, and he and his whole family got COVID, so I feel for them, but just the palatial surrounds and then to telling us, you know, take this seriously and we'll all get through this together. I mean, sure, but wouldn't mind, you know, I'm happy to come and take your place, The Rock, yeah, if, if you yeah, want, yeah. if we really are all in this together. The the thing must have been, too, that there's a there's a, a concoction here where some of these words are going to continue to live in our in our memory as memories, and some of these words are going to continue to be part of our everyday language, and they were, mm. invented, they were invented because of this pandemic, and Blur's Day is one of those words I reckon that's going to live. I love Blur's Day, yeah, which is the... The notion that all days blur into one when you're, uh, yeah. you know, at home with um, uh, with the pandemic vibe, and that is the way it was for me. I mean, I had my toddler at home, so we took her out of childcare, so I wasn't able to work. Basically, yeah. I was in full time toddler toddler daddy daycare mode, and <laughs> um, it was honestly impossible to figure out what day it was. I had to um, look at my phone to try and figure out if it, if it was supposed to be childcare day or the weekend or my wife was working, it just all completely melted into one contiguous thing of her going to the park and running around and then me having to explain why the why the swings were closed. So, you know, <laughs> oh, start selling, they're dirty. They just have to clean them and be a while. So I think we got off lightly in much of Australia and I, I'm so grateful for that. And the and the ripple effect of uh, Blues Day was that there, then we had trackies became, uh, you know, the uh, the wardrobe <laughs> of 2020, which was a good, I think, oh. a good thing. And I think historians, I think it's going to make the cover of books about 2020. That photo of Scrobo with the business upstairs, shorts and, <laughs> and uh, sandals downstairs, that was so many of us. And there was this notion of sort of Zoom formal wear where you, you put on a shirt, like a nice shirt, yeah. definitely not a jacket, and then just downstairs. I mean, I, I presciently already had black tracking. So there's no real way of telling on the because most web cameras are pretty bad. Yep. You can't tell whether they're, whether they're trackies or chinos or jeans. It doesn't matter. Yep. It's fine. So I, it's a way to live by dress. Yep. Dress like you are going on Zoom and you'll, you'll never be disappointed. In fact, right now I've got a nice shirt and just, you know, ratty old shoes on because I know I'm doing a Zoom in a few hours. So, um, yeah, it's that's going to stay with us for sure, I reckon. I think this whole Zoom um, way of working and, and all this, that's going to be with us forever. Oh, I think you're right there. Pillow dress won't be. Pillow. I love the pillow dress. Oh, you The kidding. pillow dress was this. <laughs> when I first saw that, I thought, oh, it's a dress that's like a pillow. But no, what it is. And Anne Hathaway was doing this and yeah. Hayley Berry and a few others. Left. And this is how bored we were. It's hard to remember now. Just you get a big pillow, <laughs> yeah. you put it in front of your body, the covering all the, the naughty bits, you put a belt on so that the pillow's held in place, and then you get someone to take a picture of you for Instagram. Now, the rear uncovered by the pillow dress, that's not something, not something we're going to be wearing out of the house, no. but it was just something that everyone did because we were just so bored. That has grabbed a nearby object, the pillow we'd all been crying into, and use it for this funny photo. And it's just a coincidence that during the period we were stuck at home, if this had happened 10 years ago, there wouldn't have been any of this rich online culture that we had. Yeah. But because we had Instagram, we had all the technology, we were able to connect and sort of stay in touch, not, not satisfactorily, in a very weird way, but still, it's better than better than being feeling completely alone. I reckon. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Pillow dress to me and its uh, design was done by the same person who did the uh, the hospital gown. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Back open. Um, <laughs> I, there's no way of putting those things on. And a few times in my life, I've had to have hospital gown. There's no way you can put that on and feel feel right. No. It's very strange. Um, so yes, I didn't actually. 
I, I didn't actually inflict a picture of me in a pillow on the world, um, but it should have been the publicity. I was missing out. One thing I'm glad that we didn't lose was that lovely thing that we inherited from the English, which was the rhyming slang and the Miley Cyrus. I, I love the fact that we kept that going in 2020, despite how everything else went to crap. Yes, and and people's sense of humour was part of what got us through this. I mean, a lot of people talk about the Rona yep. um, to try and sort of humanise it, but Miley Cyrus coronavirus is the rhyming slang. And I joke in the book that they're both associated with a loss of taste. But, <laughs> um, look... This is what got us through it. We, yeah. Things that we, we spread around and that we had a, a laugh about. And there's a long history, I think particularly in Australia, of dealing with bleak situations with humour. And I think um, that is distinctively Australian, but I, I think around the world that became popular too. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing that we did do well again, which we've uh, done through the ages, is multiple use words. ISO, elbow, they're just words that we we managed to work in not only one, but we come up with two or three versions of each of those, which was really good, really inventive. Yeah, I think think ISO um, was Macquarie's word of the year this year. And the the great thing about ISO is that as anything Australian, we just abbreviated it. But then we conjoined it to things like the ISO (laughs) or the ISO bod, which I had before. Isolation. I was yeah, using too. it as an excuse. The ISO pet was a huge um, uh, phenomenon too this year. I mean, these these um, this rash of adoptions of pets. You know, you, the, the the pounds were empty for the first time in, in living memory. And I'm really hoping that everyone who did get a, a pet is looking after it and that it, it is genuinely being a forever home for those dogs and cats. ISO really did um, include everything, but also it's a it's a term that goes back to prison, doesn't it? Like. People who are in solitary confinement talk about being an ISO, and in a way, we all were this year. Yeah, and as a Victorian, trust me, that's exactly how what it felt like. WFH and WTF, Um, but WFH became uh, just such a part of everyone's life, which was, uh, and I kept seeing it on ads for like office works mm. and places like that. I'm going, yeah, 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 that's right. What does that mean? And then finally, the penny dropped with you know work from home deal. Yes, and it used to be you know. Something that we would do when we were feeling a little bit lazy. Yeah. You know, oh, you know, it's going to WFH today. And being Australian again, we abbreviated it. But no, it, it became such a coping strategy. Uh, it, and we, we were forced to do it. I mean, my wife works for a big telco and they just went company wide. Okay. So the email came through on Friday afternoon from Monday. You're all working from home indefinitely. You can come in and get things if you need to from, from the office. But otherwise, if you're set up at home, just stay there. Yep. And a huge cultural shift, and this is huge. I mean, this this comes down to the design of cities, right? Do we need all these skyscrapers in close proximity? And the big the big fad's been hot desking in recent years, oh, where everyone just God. bounces around. I, I can't stand hot desking. Oh, hot desking but oh. that's terrible in it, it when you're trying to control the spread of germs. And so we're going to have to rethink it all. Yeah, which is not a bad thing, I don't think. Hey, oh, absolutely not. And- look, I, I really, I think this is a terrific book. I want to finish by talking about, I guess. There are three words for me that make the podium for most irritating <laughs> words of of, uh, of twenty twenty. Pivot, excellent. Let's have them. Pivot, pivot. yeah. Oh, pivot. I'm sorry. Terrible. Unprecedented. If I hear that bloody yep. word again, um, it's done. And and it's new done. new normal. That to me is gold, silver, and bronze on the podium for the words of uh, yes. of this year that just have annoyed the bejesus out of me. And COVID normal is what they say. And the thing is, COVID normal changes every single week. But my theory on it unprecedented is that now we've had 2020, nothing is unprecedented anymore because it's all the precedent for everything is 2020. Yeah. So we'll just go, oh, we've never had, we've, have we ever had a, you know, fires? 
Yes, we have, 2020. So yeah. it's not unprecedented. So we're going to, 31st of December, I reckon, as a nation, we're retiring that word. Yeah. Can't use it again. It's broken. I'm with you. All done. And Let's pivot and, away from it. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, the 2020 dictionary. Let's finish. 2021, you, you talk as a mythical far-off time. Um, it, fortunately, it's not at the moment, which is, which is the great news out of all this. Oh, well, look, the, the operating assumption has been that as soon as we have, you know, 2021 on the calendar, this will all be over. don't think it's going to be, no. but uh, let's just hope it's not worse. I'll, I'll set it for marginally improved and we'll go from there. Hey, mate, uh, congratulations on this book. It's a great little read. Uh, I, I suggest people who get to the end of this year and then want to sort of reflect back and, uh, and have a laugh and a smile and a, and a thought about it, this is a perfect book to do it with. That's the hope. Thank you very much. A great opportunity on our authorised podcast to go behind the scenes at uh, CS Consulting Group and meet some of the people that you'll be dealing with when you pick up that phone and give them a call or jump on the website and uh, and have a look at what they've got to offer. One of those people, of course, is David Pike, who joins me now. G'day, David. How are you going? Yeah, good, Kevin. Yourself? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. Now, tell me, what's your area of expertise there at CS Consulting? So, I'm a client relationship executive at CSCG, um, so I'd say, yeah, my area of expertise is just looking after my client. One of the areas, of course, I guess that uh, changes constantly is tax. There's always new things being introduced, things changing. How do you keep your head around that, David? Well, you don't sleep that much, <laughs> uh, pretty much, <laughs> Kevin. So, and this year has been a year like no other. So it's not just your typical, you know, kind of changes. There was also a lot of government support out there and there was a lot of qualifying criteria to get your head around. So it's been a very busy year. Yeah. Uh, so how long have you been doing uh, the uh, accountancy uh, sort of finance area, David? This is my first ever accounting-related job. I've been here for oh, eight years and one month now. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, fresh out of uni, here as a graduate and just worked my way up. Fantastic. You're a Deakin Uni uh, alumni. Correct. That's right, yeah. We talk about uh, on this podcast about uh, the services that uh, that CSCG offer and how easy it is to get in touch and how easy it is to have a chat to, to people. So I guess uh, though your door's not always open, your door sort of is always open. Well, that's right, yeah. We're always happy to, you know, you can contact us through a variety of different methods. Um, we've got a social media presence. You can just pick up the phone, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later, you know, just come in off the street. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, David, uh, have a great Christmas. You've got a big family uh, occasion planned? Yeah, we've got lunch at Grandma's this year, so oh, just boy. nice and local, which is good, so not too much travelling around. It won't be a real big Christmas, so it'll probably just be my grandparents, my parents, you know, my wife and daughter, my brother. Actually, no, it will be reasonably big, I suppose. I think you might need to do a head count, David. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, I think so. It's, I a think few, so. it's a few there. Well, have a great Christmas and New Year and uh, hopefully people will be in touch and uh, talk to you about uh, uh, the things you can help them with uh, in the finance area in uh, in 2021. All the best. Thanks for being on the show. No worries. Thanks, Ken. Thanks to David and thanks to the team at uh, cscg.com.au. Been great supporters of this podcast. I hope you'll support them as well. If you're in business and you uh, you want peace of mind and dealing with your financial situation, give them a call. It's double nine seven four eight triple three cscg. Dot com dot au. They will look after you. They're very good people. My thanks to Muriel Cooper and to Dominic Knight. My recommendation for both those two books, uh, terrific uh, to have them on the program and terrific uh, books that uh, you should get into your collection. 
I hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Authorised Podcast. Don't forget we have plenty more uh, that you can uh, check out on your nearest podcast platform. I hope you've enjoyed this. We'll talk to you in uh, 2021. My thanks to Chris Gates who puts this together each and every week. He's done a terrific job. Uh, This is episode number 10. We'll be back in 2021. Look after yourself over the holidays. Have a happy and uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. (laughs) 